Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by AJC and the Times of Israel. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines and help you understand what they all mean for Israel and the Jewish people. I'm Sefi Kogan. And I'm Manya Brashear-Pashman. This week, AJC launched a series of digital conversations with experts and policymakers as part of its new Advocacy Anywhere initiative. On Thursday, it hosted several Israeli experts who were on the front lines of the global fight against the novel coronavirus. Dr. Daniel Landsberg, Regional Medical Director of Maccabee Health Services, and Dr. Kira Rudensky, Chair and Chief Technology Officer for Diagnostic Robotics, shared what Israel is learning and sharing with the rest of the world during this global public health crisis. Here is an edited and condensed version of that conversation, moderated by AJC's Jerusalem Director, Avital Leibovich. My name is Avital Leibovich, and I'm the director of AJC Jerusalem. Welcome to Advocacy Anywhere, powered by AJC. Advocacy Anywhere is AJC's new digital platform that will enable you to engage with AJC's global expertise, content, and advocacy from wherever you are. With its flourishing science and technology sector, Israel is on the cutting edge of medical innovation. As the novel coronavirus, or COVID-19, sweeps the globe, Israeli doctors, researchers, and entrepreneurs are working diligently to help find a cure and improve treatment options. Joining us today to discuss these efforts, as well as the country's own strategies to prevent the spread of the virus, are Dr. Daniel Landsberg, who serves as Regional Medical Director of Maccabi Health Services, and Dr. Kira Radinsky, Chair and Chief Technology Officer of Diagnostic Robotics. Although the coronavirus spread to most of the world, including the U.S. and Israel, there are major differences in the approach of the two countries. Could you please share with us how Israel is handling the current situation? So I think I'll, I'll just launch in by explaining to uh, people who are waiting. I'm sure everybody is probably pretty saturated with the news. But just to put into perspective where we started off. In December of 2019, a coronavirus outbreak was announced in the Wuhan province of China. By the end of December, China had already declared a, a type of epidemic. On the 30th of January, which now seems to me of you know, being involved in so much already ages ago. But on the 30th of January, there were actually only 170 deaths in China at that stage. Of course, by now, uh, we have over 3,500 deaths in China. But at that stage, there were 170. Uh, Israel was one of the first countries in the world to decide to stop air links with China, and all flights to China were suspended. So, as I said, Israel started already with one of the first countries in the world to cut air links with China. This is considered a very drastic step. We have a lot of trade links with China, but this was considered necessary to stop the spread of the virus to Israel. And a mandatory quarantine was put into effect for all people returning from all Israeli citizens uh, returning from China. Quite rapidly, this air uh, quarantine was extended to other countries, Korea, uh, Taiwan, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong. And over the next few weeks, uh, we saw uh, restrictions slowly being uh, performed on people returning from different countries, including Western Europe, when it started to become evident that there were cases coming out of uh, Italy and Austria. Uh, This was very controversial in the beginning. It wasn't well accepted by the public. 
But as a result, uh, we saw very few cases in Israel in the beginning. There was one or two cases, and the virus has been very slow to develop in the country. At the same time, the health organizations started preparing. And this is one of the big issues and one of the strengths of Israel, because we really are a country with a lot of centralized control of the health system. We basically all got a directive to, to prepare. I'll give you examples of, of how the country has been preparing over the last five weeks already. For example, uh, even before there was even one patient in intensive care in any hospital, all medical staff were forbidden for traveling overseas. So we all had our holidays and uh, conferences and everything canceled. And none of us, no doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, no one is allowed to travel overseas. We've all been uh, basically restrained to Israel. And this is quite a strange thing to happen in a democracy. I don't think this has ever happened in the past in Israel's history. And immediately after that, uh, all the, for example, I'm in a position where I'm responsible for an area of 500,000 people. We started having initially weekly meetings with the health ministry to be brought up to date uh, and to start preparing for what was thought to become. Now, this all sounds strange. You know, we still didn't have any patients uh, in Israel. We had three or four come back from that famous uh, cruise ship, the Diamond Princess in Japan. But we didn't really have any patients. And we seem to be doing a lot of preparations for nothing. And maybe that's an important message to you in America is start preparing. This is coming. And when it comes, it's going to be big. And so the type of things that we've started preparing us, how are we going to deliver health care to people who are going to be stuck in their homes? How are we going to deal with sick people and much more sick people than we're used to dealing with at one stage? And all this has been going on for the last few weeks. And uh, I can say maybe just in time, because the increase in the amount of patients sick is now increasing exponentially. Uh, it's difficult to understand sometimes, but the coronavirus, uh, you know, every patient, every person with coronavirus can potentially, uh, on average, infect another four people. So if you start off at the beginning of the week with two people, and if it doubles every two or three days, you've got four, eight, 16, and basically by the end of the month, without realizing and thinking that you've only got four or six patients, by the end of the month, you can have 10, 20,000. And the next month, you're going to have 100,000 or even more. In fact, it is the World Health Organization estimates that if we don't do anything to prevent the spread of the disease, about 30% of the world will become infected by the end of the year. Although the community health situation is excellent in Israel, in fact, the World Health Organization says we have one of the best community health services in the world, our situation in the hospital is not as good. We have very few hospital beds per 1,000 people. Uh, in Israel, it's 2.4 beds to 1,000 people. In Japan, for example, it's over 7 beds to 1,000 people. So if we get a lot of sick people in hospital, uh, we're just not going to have enough beds for them, and people are going to get into trouble just because we can't treat them. And that's really why we've been preparing. Kira, Israel is famous for its innovative spirit, I would say. And you have been a leading researcher in an exciting first-of-its-kind project. Can you please explain to us about the technology you developed, how it's supporting the current challenge, and how the Ministry of Health became also a partner of yours for this project? Uh, wonderful. Thank you for the questions. Um, so uh, I'm one of the co-founders of a company called Diagnostic Robotics. I co-founded it with Professor Moshe Shom and uh, Jonathan Amir. And we started the company first to try to build automated AI systems uh, for triaging patients in emergency rooms in order to reduce the loads inside emergency rooms. Uh, 
Over time, we started working with different hospitals in Israel, started collaborations with hospitals in the U.S., uh, with uh, uh, mostly Maimonides and Mayo Clinic. And then with time, we realized that we can also bring value and start triaging from the community. So we started working with the different HMOs here in Israel and uh, recently started collaborating with different payers in the United States. Uh, last week, uh, Israel government decided to start taking digital triaging and spread it on a daily basis uh, for the entire population to start monitoring. The idea is to identify patients who are starting to develop symptoms of coronavirus by a set of systems that are actually calling them or texting mm -hmm. them. They're going on a tri uh, clinical triage. Additionally, we're getting ready for hospitalization at home. So people at home and hospitalized, we wanna make sure that we can identify deteriorations. All of this information is eventually being delivered as red flags for the different HMOs, 911 services here in Israel. And on a population level, healthcare, we're actually providing a heat map of where the virus is right now and how and actually building AI system to predict how is it going to spread. All of this information is going to be very vital to make better decisions, understanding around uh, which area should be in isolation, which ones need more attention, uh, which ones we can actually reduce the isolations in them, etc. Um, I would like to ask you, is this project, which sounds to me quite something that could make a revolution here, is this project you think um, that the international community could benefit from, and, and if so, in, in what way? So we're actually reaching out to whoever needs our help. Everybody who can use our platform for triaging, we're here, feel free to contact us directly. We'll be glad uh, to share it, uh, including the knowledge that we started gaining. We see the information uh, over time as well, so we can start learning about the disease together. So everybody who's listening here and needs access in any way, please do contact us. So having heard your uh, description and actually this very unique kind of system we have here in israel what would you say are the one or two major lessons that the u.s can learn from israel's experience in the current crisis sure so so, so first of all, just let me remark that, that what kira said said earlier it's very important to track where the, the cases are because the most effective thing for preventing spread is, is, is to isolate people who are sick and separate them from, from other people uh, and from the, and the contacts. So the mapping is, is, is crucial. Um, I think the, the, the first uh, thing that we can learn from the Israeli experience is that it's, it's important not to ignore the threat. It's coming. You've got to believe it's coming. And, and, and you know, don't ignore it. That just because you can't see it, it doesn't mean it's not there. And by the time you're aware of it being there, it's, it might be too late. So start preparing. Uh, start preparing doesn't mean you need to stockpile on, 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 on toilet paper. I mean, for some reason, this is a, a big thing all over the world. I don't know what's going on with that. You don't need to. Supermarkets are not going to collapse. Uh, but what I mean by, by preparing is to make sure, uh, you know, this is a disease which affects especially the elderly. So make sure that your, your, your parents are, are, are going to be able to be to cope with being maybe alone for a few weeks, that they have uh, their medications, that they have lines of communication clearly with their, their, their primary caregiver, 
their doctor. That's on a personal basis. On a, on a countrywide basis, uh, you've got to start preparing the medical teams. The, the medical teams have to realize that they're going to go through a quite difficult period. And you need to start thinking about how you're going to be protecting your medical teams uh, physically and mentally, because they're going to be dealing with a lot of sick people. Uh, on a government level, uh, you need to mobilize local, uh, local governments. Uh, you've got to decide what you're going to be doing when you find sick people, where you're going to keep them. Uh, a lot of people aren't that sick. A lot of people have just got a little bit of a cold and a cough, but you don't want them going around spreading the disease to other people. So how are you going to explain? Uh, and you've got to keep people updated all the time. And updating is not necessarily, you know, what's on the the, the news uh, broadcast of the evening. They tend to sen sensationalize the things. You need to have good public uh, education, and it needs, it needs to be done now already. You have to do it quick. Right. Thank you so much. I think it's time now to uh, get your questions and interesting things you would like to ask. There have been reports that Israel, that Israeli companies are really um, hard at work on a vaccine. And I'm wondering um, if either of you would be able to share what you know about the um, status of a possible vaccine coming out of Israel. Um, sure, I, I can give and Kira wants to add. There is a there is a company in the Galil called Migal. Uh, they have been it's a it's a small private company. For many years, they have been working on a coronavirus vaccine. Coronavirus is a very common virus. In fact, every one of you has probably had a coronavirus infection at some stage in their life. It causes the common cold. But coronavirus can also cause serious illness amongst poultry, chickens, and and. Uh, and Turkey especially, and they've developed a vaccine for use in, in these animals, in birds, uh, and they feel that within a few, maybe months, maybe weeks, we don't know, they can adapt the bird vaccine and turn it into a human vaccine. Uh, they're very optimistic. I must realize that medical, uh, medical you know, devices take a long time and you need a, a, a lot of testing to be done to, to be sure they're safe. Uh, but they feel that they're very close to a breakthrough. And of course, here in Israel, uh, we're certainly are hopeful that we will be the first country to have a, to have a vaccine for coronavirus. It would be wonderful, I mean, obviously. I'll just add to that. So there's several efforts right now trying to focus on drug repurposing. That's the concept of taking known drugs and seeing how they affect other diseases. So as Israel has been collecting data since the 90s, uh, of course, in the most private way by the HMOs, though the HMOs have uh, been collecting the data since the 1993 in a digitalized form. Uh, if you can think about it, we were doing clinical experiments on ourselves as patients. And today the HMOs have access to this and several researchers working with Maccabi Institute, the Clinic Institute, are trying to identify drugs that are being used by all of us, already passed all of the FDAs, and seeing whether they can be used, for example, for coronavirus based on the first information that we're getting from uh, some of the first patients. Dr. Rodinsky, maybe a final sentence from you about uh, the essential part, uh, the essential part that technology really plays in a virus like corona and others, just a summarizing sentence from you. I think that in, we always had uh, very strained uh, healthcare systems when we don't have enough doctors. There's a shortage of around 60 to $90,000 in the United uh, States alone. And 
we've been building tools to start automating some of their uh, work to build better decision support systems, et cetera. But now, and during this pandemic times, actually leveraging all of this data that we obtain from patients and building a coherent map of what's going on and how it can actually serve decision makers. It's actually taking all of the knowledge that in Israel has been developing for years based on its uh, digital medical records in the army, et cetera. And finally, these technologies have the power to actually help and save lives. Amazing. And as you said before, this technology could be adopted by the entire uh, world. And I do want to end on an optimistic note. Uh, approximately an hour ago, tens of thousands of Israelis were standing in their porch porches, in their balconies, in their homes, from south to north, applauding for a long time for all the medical teams uh, that are saving lives, researching 24-7 um, just to get us through uh, this uh, uh, situation and, and uncertain times. So with that optimistic note, I do want to thank all of you, the members of the AJC community who joined us today. I wish you all to be safe and healthy. Thank you, everybody, and shalom. Joyce Franco and Stephanie Graber didn't know each other before they traveled in a group from Israel to Italy at the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak. It was when Joyce's roommate told her she wasn't welcome back when she returned that the two struck up a friendship and an Instagram account. Creatively Quarantine now has more than 1,200 followers and has become an incubator for those searching for inspiration in isolation. The creators of Creatively Quarantined are with us now to talk about their experience. Joyce and Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. So tell us, ladies, was it worth it, that trip to Italy that you took? <laughs> We don't have any regrets. No <laughs> so walk us through your decision to go to Italy. What was in the news at that time? And then when you came back, how did you learn that you weren't going anywhere? So my roommate actually got uh, a trip to Italy. She was doing work there and she offered me to come. She invited me and I went to Italy. This was before anyone knew about Corona. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Corona wasn't a global issue yet. And Sunday, February 23rd of that trip, I had gotten to Italy that Wednesday before, um, four of our friends joined us. And Joyce was one of them. Yeah, so I decided, like, uh, over Shabbat on, on Saturday, I was, like, having lunch with friends. And I was like, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? And they're like, oh, we're actually flying out to Italy. Um, at like 6 a.m. And I'm like, uh, cool, I'm coming with you. <laughs> I was very spontaneous and I don't, I don't feel like I'm that spontaneous, but it, for some reason I was like, I gotta, I gotta go on this trip. I gotta crash this trip with these people that I don't know. Like I really didn't know who we were meeting on the other end. And I just knew our friends, Ben and Shira that I was with over Shabbat. And like, yeah, something in me was just like, you gotta go. So um, I, book, I booked a flight literally like 1 a.m. We, we left to the airport at 4 a.m. And before I knew it, I was on my way to Italy. And like little did we know, like actually like as we were in the air was when like everything started building up around coronavirus at, in Italy. Yeah. Like we, we were just, I, 
okay, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Somebody was like, oh, you're traveling? Like, you should probably check if coronavirus, like, is, like, has hit Italy. And I Google, like, coronavirus Italy, and, like, an article or two came up, and I'm like, yo, Ben, are we sure about this trip? And he's like, yeah, no worries. Like, come on. Like, of course, like, don't, yeah, don't listen to that. Don't read that, whatever. And I was like, okay, fine. And then we, like, landed and we got, like, bombarded. Yeah, people bombarded started. with people was sending yeah. us articles. Like, that Sunday, everyone just started sending us articles. And okay. we were heading to northern Italy, where, like, on the west side. <clears throat> but two of the cases were on the east side in northern Italy. So we were like, free people were freaking out for us. And we and were just like, everybody's overreacting. <laughs> like, we were trying to like blow it off. But we were in the most beautiful place in Italy. Like, nothing could bother us. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I am curious, yeah, what were you hearing on the ground? Because that's often the case. You know, I live in the New York area. Often when there's something in the news, my mother hears about it on MSNBC before I even hear about it. And I'm hearing it from her in Texas. So were you just enjoying vacation? So we like did not realize anything like walked to the airport breezy, nothing really um, until the next day. Okay. It was Monday yeah. and we're sitting at lunch. We're like starving. We were actually, I think things were closed regardless because it was Monday, but who knows? And we sit down at this restaurant and we're like ordering pizza and pasta. And the waiter like takes our order, like is chilling with us and then like comes, like goes in comes back out and he's like by the way everything's closed at 6 p.m tonight and we're like uh, oh okay he's like from now from tonight until march 1st and literally like all of us were like oh that, that's cool there must be like some sort of like national holiday for march 1st like i'm telling you this is what like we were like oh cool it at least celebrates march 1st for some reason and, <laughs> and like and then and then we're like oh what's what's on march 1st and he's like no like um everything's closed starting tonight until march 1st for corona and we're like uh Freaking oh, out, like, <laughs> in. And then we're just like, hmm, that's interesting. And then, like, he comes back out again, and he was like, no bar, <laughs> no, like, no museums, no restaurant. And he just, like, starts, like, reading us the list, and we're just like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. So what did you do? Did you go hole up in your hotel, schedule an early flight home? No, I was actually leaving that day. Yeah, I um, earlier. So, like, everything we were thinking about with corona was – Partly because Israel was publishing, the health ministry was publishing all this, all these new notices mm -hmm. regarding people flying from Italy. Um, so at this point, we're like, oh my God, when we get back to Israel, are we going to have to quarantine? Like, is it dangerous to fly back? Is it dangerous to go on a flight right now? Um, so all these questions were setting in and it was just this air of, um, it wasn't normal. So we were just like... <laughs> out a little bit um, mm -hmm. but the trip did go on and I ended up going home but they continued on okay you did not fly back together no no okay so how did you end up together here in quarantine so okay so Steph got home which was fine but we weren't friends before this yeah we didn't know each other <laughs> um, <so laughs> we okay so the Paulina is Stephanie's roommate and I was going to stay in in Europe with Paulina to continue traveling because that was her plan and um I decided that 
I needed to get back to Israel. Like anxiety set 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 in for definitely Corona reasons and other things. And I was and my okay, I was staying with a friend Marissa, my best friend that lives in Tel Aviv, and she basically like texted me on Monday when all this stuff like hit the fan. She was just like, I hope you have another place to stay because I warned you upon leaving. So she works in a hospital with kids. She was like, mm-hmm. she's like, like you're not like I wasn't kidding. Like you're not allowed back in my apartment. Right. And that was like also so like now everything's getting like a lot more real. And I'm just like, uh, like I don't know where I'm gonna stay. Like I'm getting <laughs> kicked out of my best friend's apartment. And then Paulina was like, well, I'm not using. I'm not gonna be home. Like use my room. Like Steph doesn't mind. She was just in Italy. But she never asked me, but like I said, fine. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I was like, fine. She can stay with me. Like I'll take her in. Yeah. So I, call, I literally text Steph like on my way to the airport being like, yo, is it cool? Like if I take Paulina through home until she gets back and I figure out like what my next move is. And she's like, sure. And I figured like, okay, I'll be there for Wednesday night. Cause I'll be back on Wednesday, like Wednesday night, no problem. And then like, I mean, the, the next day is when we got like everybody must go indoors uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. and then we were stuck together okay now where's paulina in all of this she was still traveling at the time yeah she was and still in austria where is she now she's, she's back. home she's, she's here. here so she's sharing in this quarantine situation with you now yeah yeah hard to find and is she still in quarantine she, she finishes yeah. friday finishes friday okay all right so any signs of illness No, thank God. Wonderful. Wonderful. So tell me how you came up then with this Instagram account, Creatively Quarantined. Was this a coping mechanism for you guys to stay connected or to to share information and ideas with people out there in your same uh, predicament? What was the purpose? So um, the day that I got back, I went to a Gaga dance class. Um, I'm a dancer. So she doesn't know what Gaga is. Gaga. I don't know what Gaga is. Okay, yeah. Gaga is a dance style that was created by Oha Naharin, who is the choreographer of the Batsheva Dance Company, which is like humongous in Israel. Got it. Okay. Very famous and very, but yeah, okay. incredible movement. So I went to go, da- I went to dance and I'm a dancer and I haven't danced in a while. And I just got this like burst of like, oh, I need to move and I can't wait to like come to Gaga every single day. And I'm going to sign up to the Unlimited monthly. I, don't, I had this whole idea in my, hand, my head. And like literally four hours later, I was told that I can't leave my space of residence for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first I was like, okay, like I want to hold myself accountable. Like I have this urge to create and move. Why not create um, an account that basically is tracking my creative process um, daily and, and like basically turn my time in quarantine into a creative incubator and redefine what time alone could look like and actually give it some sort of like bigger purpose okay and creative creative space um and then and then like i kind of got shy and and backed away from the idea and then i was thinking about it as like um a quarantine journal that I was just going to keep for myself, like a picture journal mm-hmm. like every day. And then st- I was like brain, like I was just like um, <laughs> brainstorming the idea. Cause I was like, you know, jamming on my own creativity about the idea. She loved uh-huh. the idea. I, you know, like I, like I felt like my crown just opened and I was like inundated with like all these like crazy ideas about like how creative quarantine can be. And Steph was like, dude, like 
you can't keep that private. Like you got to take that public, like make it a journal for people that, that could see and like show them how well, because we were actually like having like this really like elaborate cheese plate that I decided. <laughs> right. Yeah, like I just like I made like a gorgeous cheese plate for our night first night in quarantine to like treat ourselves. And she's like, show the world like how well you're doing quarantine. Yeah. It was just, it was like a space, like, we don't need to have this, like, negative. When we got back, we were the only ones in quarantine. Like, people didn't know what it was. People were making jokes about it. And for us, it was like, okay, it doesn't need to have, like, a negative connotation. Let's just make it, like, the best space it can be. This is what we're given. Like, this is what we have to do. And, um, yeah, Yeah. it was really fun. So, yeah, and then, then it just spurred into, like, okay, like, how do we encourage First of all, we wanted to be funny because, like, I like being like <laughs> it's fun to be funny. Um, so, like, comic relief on the front end, but like on the back end, we're kind of like also generating this idea of or encouraging people to create with this space because every single day, more and more people were entering quarantine. So yeah. it was like, all right, like let's encourage creativity and that doesn't necessarily mean get up and make a dance that can mean like go on duolingo and learn a new language or like mm-hmm. i don't know clean out your closet because you like anything that you were avoiding or procrastinating and like claim to not have time for right like here is the optimal space for it so like mm-hmm. use it rather than like netflix and and chill like be productive be creative be be forward in, in like a uh, yeah, use, using the time well. Yeah. Using the time well. So what have you accomplished during this time? And what have you learned? I mean, from other people who are contributing their creative ideas, what have you gained from that and tried? So, I mean, honestly, like what ended up being really interesting is that the account <laughs> itself became our creative outlet. Like, mm-hmm. You know, like I moved once, like I did, like I, like I did that once out of the whole like time that we were here. Cause like it became, we created a community and, and yeah, and, and that was our biggest thing. It was like, you know, I, w- I would wake up and like Steph was already on the phone, like already talking to people in Germany and Australia. Like, like, you know, people were reaching out to us. First of all, sending us like what they, they were doing, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, picking up a guitar for the first time, boxing, calligraphy, like, which was amazing to see. And it was like, and, and, and at the same time, we also became like a source of, of information for people, which was like confusing and in the air and not clear. Like people were messaging us being like, hey, I'm supposed to fly out of uh, Germany in three hours into Israel. Yeah, people were asking for our advice. I, like, should I take the flight? Should I not take the flight? And we were like, uh, I guess we're like the voice of reason. Like, we, yeah. What was your advice? Did you tell them to get on that flight like you did? I think that I told her no. Yeah, it's no, <laughs> people are like scared to get on a flight if they know they have to be in quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. So right. the fact that we were like, ex- we were in the quarantine we had already booked our trip and went on in and people were just wondering like what they should do. So they would ask us for advice. And most of the time it's like, maybe you shouldn't go. Right. So did any of these ideas inspire you to do something new? Did you get inspired to pick up a guitar or take on a new language? Yeah. So each day we tried to create like a mission for the day. Oh, good. Okay. What were some of the hashtags? So spreading kindness, not germs. That was our favorite one. one. Forum. Before Quorum, um, we did, well, like Steph took initiative, um, getting like Mishlach Manat, trying to get Mishlach Manat to people in quarantine, which was like a really awesome yeah. thing on her part. Um, 
uh, yeah, we like painted, we got pottery sent to us and we had a paint night. Um, <laughs> uh, we played word games uh, that we've never played before. Yeah. But a part of it all, like this, this time is really cool because what we're seeing is a lot of people out there who are in quarantine now or isolation mm-hmm. are taking up their own initiatives. There's so many accounts out there now and maybe they're not as big as ours, but. <laughs> <laughs> so how many followers do you now have? We, we have, um, you know, I don't know by heart, but no, 1270. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 1271. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, in the first couple of days, like we were we within were a week, we had like a thousand followers within like, four days. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Were like, we were like, every day was like 300 more, 300 more. Yeah. And it was just really cool. Um, and right now it's like, yeah, it's a big, it's a big conversation piece between us, whether like how to stay relevant because now like everybody's in quarantine. <laughs> right. Like, you right. Know, like, what's special about us, but we we it's I mean like we're not, hoping yeah, we're hoping good. Sorry, not to sound like cheesy, uh, but like it's not about us. Like yeah. we want it to be about the community of people that <clears throat> um have been inspired by the account or that are are finishing off their quarantine and started it with us in some way or like are now entering quarantine. So just trying to like um I don't know, in some way, keep keep that encouragement going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we also mm-hmm. found, like, people um, are willing to talk about, like, their time in quarantine. I think it really does have, like, such an impact on an individual. Yeah. And, you know, the account, it can take, a, it can take on a different tone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just gathering people's accounts of their time in quarantine, you know, what they thought it was going to be and you know, maybe even talking to them at the halfway mark and talking to them afterwards just to see their experience and, you know. Getting people to share, really. Yeah, really, like, be vulnerable in this time because it doesn't happen. It could happen once a lifetime. It can happen, you know, multiple times. It's just we're in a really unique uh, time right now. Yeah. Um, So just trying to be good with it is the best. Yes, we are. Well, Joyce and Stephanie, thank you so much for introducing us to this very creative idea. The handle for the Instagram account is, repeat it for me. Creatively underscore quarantines. Okay. Well, thank you very much and uh, hope that you get out of that quarantine very soon. Hope we all do. Thank you. Be Be well. Stay healthy. Now it's time for our closing segment, Shabbat Table Talk. Joining me at the Shabbat Table is our friend and colleague, Amanda Borshaldan, the Jewish world editor at the Times of Israel. Amanda, when you're seated with your family at the Shabbat Table this week, what will you be talking about? Hi, Manya. Sorry if you hear a bunch of background noise, but as you know, the six kids are all out of school since last week and they're going a bit stir crazy. You know, at the best of times, being a mother of six is kind of like being an airport traffic controller. But between my work, their school, their sports, their scouts, their doctors and dentist appointments, and maybe most importantly, my yoga classes, I generally manage just fine. You know, I counted the other day and I'm in 11 WhatsApp groups connected to judo. I have umpteen carpools and five different scout groups. There are neighborhood groups and one for the synagogue I sometimes go to and another one for the one I don't. And an assortment of different family groups, of course, up through the massive group that's now filled with jokes that includes most of my Israeli husband's aunts, uncles, cousins, and his siblings. And usually it's okay. But since last week, schools across Israel have been closed, and our kids, ages 7 through 16, 
are all home and always hungry. But at the same time, they're meant to continue studying. And actually, after years of distance learning drills, the kids all do have some kind of schoolwork to do. Israel is almost always on war footing, and the Ministry of Education is pretty prepared. But with swarms of WhatsApp messages coming from their teachers to explain the assignments, my air traffic controller job is becoming overwhelmed. Most of the day in our new normal, the three teens are sitting in front of their computers in classes, which are taught by frazzled teachers, sometimes holding babies, sometimes on spotty internet. And last week, for the first several days, the three youngest spent much of their time visiting friends and playing outside. But slowly, our circles are closing in. Friend visits are no longer allowed, but currently, they're still okay to meet up with friends in small groups at the playground. My yoga classes are all canceled, but I can go still walk the dog and admire a desert home's beauty. So as we navigate these uncertain days, I think it's natural to desire a closer connection to family, and I'm happy that my chicks are all in my nest. Ironically, I was supposed to have flown to the United States right now to sit in the studio with Mania and Sefi in New York and to visit my almost 95-year-old grandmother. Now I really don't know if I'll ever see her again. My Israeli-born husband is accustomed to seeing his mother several times a week, but since last Friday, she's on lockdown in her sheltered living facility in Jerusalem. For her part, she claims she's happy not to prepare her lavish Friday night meals and glad for the vacation from minding the grandkids. But he is going through withdrawal and he phones her several times a day. Personally, <laughs> perhaps because I'm antisocial, but I am so far doing okay not seeing people outside of my nuclear family. And I wonder if immigrating alone to Israel over 20 years ago has given me the distance learning drills I needed to be able to physically keep away from my family and friends, but maintain close relationships with them. I feel like we are blessed to have tools to learn and love in the time of Corona, even if now, only a few weeks ahead of Pesach, Passover, my kids are turning into locusts. <laughs> How about you, Manya? Ah, yes, locusts. I can relate, Amanda. And we miss seeing you here in the New York area, but we're all quarantined at home now, and you will undoubtedly hear my children soon, too. I talked last week about forced family separation being a topic of discussion in the public health context and the pain and discomfort of that. God willing, you will see your grandmother again, Amanda, because as the astronaut Jessica Meir recently reminded us when she posted pictures of planet Earth, this too shall pass. This week, with the responsibility of homeschooling and work on our shoulders, I've been reflecting a lot on forced family togetherness, and really, what a blessing that should be. Instead of the 37 minutes a day of quality time with my kids that experts say I get on average, I'm getting 37 hours a day. Yes, that's how it feels. And I feel so guilty saying so. But while they're in Israel, you're accustomed to distance learning. This is new to us. We're accustomed to limiting screen time, not encouraging it. But these days, this is how we're connecting with people, with lesson plans, even museums and the opera. It's all virtual, all but the time with our children. For once, I'm not FaceTiming them from the office to say good night or good morning if I've had to catch an early train. This is a bounty of quality time. So why am I not grateful? I'm really trying to take a deep breath, be less grouchy, and embrace this time together. 
It's tough, but I do think I will look back on it as an opportunity missed if I don't. One thing I have been touched by are the people out there who have not let this virtual reality and anarchy get in the way of opportunities to help those who really are in trouble. We are going to be suffering from this virus for a long time, economically, emotionally. And there are angels out there who know that and are looking out for those who are most vulnerable. For them, I am so grateful. AJC has launched a campaign to encourage and recognize these good deed doers. It's called Be a Mensch, using the Yiddish term for a person of integrity and honor, a good deed doer. If you know of an individual, an institution, a company, even a whole municipality or a country that's doing something to provide comfort and ease during this time, share their story on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using the hashtag BeAMensch or go to AJC.org slash BeAMensch. At our Shabbat table this week, my family and I will be talking about ways we can be more menschy, and we'll be thinking of people who are menschy around us. That seems like a wonderful way to enjoy our forced family togetherness. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, ouvriah. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, or learn more at ajc.org slash peopleofthepod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC and the Times of Israel. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at AJC.org. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and write a review to help more listeners find us. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC and the Times of Israel. Our producer is Kukong Do. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. Tune in next week for another episode of People Love the Pod. 